Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. Let's get raw. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to be like, welcome to Monday Night Raw, even though this is a Thursday afternoon. If you're listening to this when it goes live, I don't know your life. You could be listening to this on a Tuesday for all I know. I mean, we're I would make that joke, except we're a significantly better product than WWE. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> raw is ass right now. But we're not talking about that kind of raw today. We're talking about the good kind of raw today. <laughs> we're talking about French as fuck raw, which is... Always better than American raw. I, I yes. I I don't I don't know if this is the best version of of raw. Like there's there there's like sexy raw, and this is more of like cannibalism raw. There's also what is it like sugar in the raw, whatever they call that. That stuff's oh, pretty good. That stuff that's at like nice diners. Yeah, that stuff's pretty good too. There's a lot of good raws. Okay, you know what? We'll we'll, we'll unpack it. <laughs> We're unpacking all of this, and luckily we are not unpacking this on our own because we have a returning guest. You may recognize our guest from the episode we did on Sydney White about 10 million years ago. If you've not listened to that episode, go back and listen to it because it's great. Uh, Vanessa is a comedian, a podcaster. She was on G4 and El Rey Network. Now she's doing cool stuff over at The Grumps. She's got just all the good stuff, but more importantly, we love her dearly, and she is one of the most important people in our lives, and that's why she gets to come back for a round two to talk about one of her absolute favorite movies. Yay! Welcome, <laughs> Vanessa Guerrero. You are the bomb.com. Thank you for being here. Ooh, baby, I like it raw. <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? I had that one chambered. <laughs> God, like, the last time you were on our show, first of all, I think you were, like, our third ever guest two some years ago. Right, but right. that was, like, when our friendship started. Mm -hmm. It was. I remember. That was initially when we started bonding because you were literally months out from moving to Los Angeles before we would meet on my patio for the first time. Oh. <laughs> it was a delightful day. We've come so far. I know. Now I see y'all like several times a week. <laughs> the best. I mean, it helps that we like live close to your commute. So we're like a, a nice little field trip pit stop. Exactly. <laughs> so Vanessa, the last time you were here, you talked about Sydney White. That is a, you know, a play on a fairy tale. It's an Amanda Bynes movie. And yes. today we're talking about Raw, which is decidedly nothing like that movie. So... <laughs> If you could please let the listeners at home know, what is it about Raw that you're like, this is the movie I got to talk about again? Okay. So I think um, everybody has a kind of collective amnesia when it comes to how gross and scary and intense puberty was. Mm -hmm. um, I think we all like 
similar to that whatever that thing it is that keeps people after they give birth from like remembering how horrible it was i think we all have that gene when it comes to like puberty and some of the grosser parts of it and i love raw so much because it's a coming of age story that feels as terrifying as like learning things about things that you crave as a young person feels mm-hmm. um it's it it very much digs into that part of you that's like oh this is like picking at a at a scab it feels gross but i really like it um and raw is a very gross horror movie it is a fantastic debut feature but i don't know when i think about adolescence i am all at once like charmed by it and also amazed that i survived it because it is such an intense time yeah i i'm right there with you because what's interesting about doing this show is a lot of the movies that we talk about are a little bit lighter um a lot of cheat a lot of cheese a lot a lot of cheese but then every so often we'll tackle something where it's like hey remember that puberty is actually the fucking worst (laughs) (laughs) and i think this is one of those this is one of those movies for sure and obviously it's not a, a direct through line of puberty she's not like 13 in this movie but they're using you know taking this next step going to college and how scary that can be and the things that are you know coming out from within you the second you're starting to feel some 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 semblance of liberation and that is very much like the puberty feel and yeah this oof yeah this gets under my skin in a way that I both very like and then I'm immediately repulsed by liking yeah it's picking a scab <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like um it's kind of like the post come clarity that I think people have where they ended up on like a really weird part of Pornhub. And then after they've come, they're like, oh, God, I can't believe I was into that. And yeah, you go to it next time. It's fine. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel a lot about Raw. That's exactly how I feel about Raw. Every time I watched it, I just like sit in a mess of my own creation. Like, ugh, what have I done? I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, after we watched this, I was like, cool, I'm just going to flip over to Pluto and cleanse my palate. What's on? A mighty wind? Okay, let's go with that. so harmony this is a movie i mean this is a relatively new movie for all of us because it's a relatively new release but you i know have seen this movie twice now Uh how has your viewing experience changed from the first time to now so i think the first time i saw raw was like two ish years ago i think it was like women in horror month or something like that and so it was like okay cool everyone's posting about how much they love this film i haven't seen it yet but I watch it and I think I turn to BJ and say, this is one of those movies where some some woman's going to be like, oh, my God, this is such a comfort film for me. And then it's like the grossest movie you've ever seen. (laughs) It's just pure trauma and agony. And I'm like, well, you know what? We all find comfort in different things. I sort of that woman is me. Yeah. Well, you're not alone because I feel like that is extreme. Like, like that's a shared thing. That is the shared experience of also gnawing on Polly Pocket that apparently but everyone has. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the best toy to chew on. The <laughs> pants specifically. The pants had a springiness on the molars that was uncomparable to most things. See, and I had to explain this to Harmony because I mentioned something about Polly Pockets because there's two era of Polly Pockets. There's like the miniature choking hazards that are hard plastic, but those were also great to chew on because they were indestructible. And then when they evolved up and got a little bigger and started having rubber clothing, that was just the most excellent to chew on because it was so chewy. 
Oh my god! And they had this like bounciness. Uh, the po- rubber Polly Pocket clothing. I can already smell how disgusting my toys smell uh, <laughs> in my mind's eye. You see, and here's the here's the interesting thing that I love that both of you are bonding about this, and I'm just sitting here going, I've heard, I've heard tale, because <laughs> Raw I think is one of those movies that. The first time I watched it, I'm like, okay, I, I don't really get the appeal that everyone else does. But now I'm like, the second time I'm like, okay, I'm actually watching it. I'm studying it because I know where we're going now. And I, I get it a lot better. It hit better the second time as someone who does not have like firsthand experience with feminine puberty and the everything else that goes with this movie, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And I love that it's something that is making more sense on on the second view. I think that that's really cool. Um, but Vanessa, if somebody out there has not seen Raw, because we do have some listeners that are like, I listen to every episode, even if I don't want to watch the movie, or that movie seems icky. I just want to hear you talk about it. What is Raw about? Okay, so... First of all, let me start with, um, if you're planning on watching this movie, don't eat food. Um, <laughs> just don't eat food. Don't be eating food. I've done made that mistake a couple of times, and I also once ordered chicken wings with a friend when I was showing her this movie. Uh, don't eat food when you watch Raw. Anyways, um, Raw is about a adolescent girl who's going to veterinary school, and I believe she's even like a little bit younger than the rest of her class, so she's got that kind of like kid that moved ahead of grade uh, baby genius thing to her. She's gifted. She's gifted. Uh, and she's in veterinary school and her older sister has been there for a while. And, um, she's clearly very like new to all of this. And on her first night, uh, she meets her roommate and they begin this like week long, uh, it's just hazing. It's just straight up hazing. Like, they're they're being stripped naked and thrown into different rooms and kept awake and uh they have blood thrown at them uh and so in the middle of this hazing this family who at the beginning of the movie you see is like a very staunch vegetarian uh they try and make her eat uh a rabbit kidney and she doesn't want to because she's a vegetarian but her sister makes her eats it uh, and this gives her a crazy rash anyways Fast forward, she has an insane craving for meat now, and uh, this movie basically tackles some of the trouble that she gets into as she begins to crave flesh and then realize how deep this goes with all of the women in her family, and it ultimately leads to some very tragic consequences as these impulses start to go haywire. Um... I I adore this movie. I love that this movie to me takes the line from touch a touch a touch me in the Rocky Horror Picture Show where she says, I've tasted blood and I want more. And everyone's like so excited to say more, more, more. But then you see what that actually looks like and it is goddamn terrifying. Um (laughs) Oh, yeah. When she first eats her sister's finger after she accidentally cuts it off due to already that scene was very fraught with anxiety for me. It's a scene where her older sister is giving her a bikini wax and she's being like pretty aggressive about it. Um, which just reminds me of like all of the times I'd like cut myself shaving or burn myself with wax or do something weird to my body in the name of like learning about how to use it for sex. And in this case, it results in her older sister accidentally getting her finger cut off when she tried to like cut off a wax strip. That first scene where she's eating that goddamn finger like a chicken wing, 
Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not. I mean, this is going to be a gross episode, so I feel comfortable just coming out the gate and swinging with this in like the first ten minutes. But fingers, I don't think are very good things to eat. It's all just flesh and tendons. There's no meat on that. Yeah, she's not really getting anything there. It's uh, I, like I, I imagine it's like eating chicken feet. Yeah, no, I think it's probably really similar. Or um, in in yeah, I guess Yellow Jackets or Santa Clarita Diet, where ears are a thing. Let's eat ears. I don't think ears are good things to eat either. I think ears might be delicious. I think ears would taste like a pork crackling, but that's because I've thought about this too much. Well, and... I mean, they're Drew Barrymore's favorite apparently in Santa Clarita Diet because they're salty. <laughs> Ew, amazing. And I mean, here's the thing, you're not wrong with pork cracklins um because I did used to live next door to a crematorium and depending on the fat percentage of your body, uh humans tend to smell a lot like pork. Um so uh, <laughs> you're not wrong. Um and yeah, it, I found that out like in a very embarrassing way. I came home from a party like really drunk at like 3 in the morning, which is usually when they cremate bodies because they're not going to do that in the middle of the afternoon because that just seems kind of weird. So they do it really really late at night and I was coming home and I'm drunk and I'm like, "Damn, who's out here barbecuing at 3 a.m.? It smells awesome." And my roommate at the time was like, "Hey dumbass, did you forget where we live next door to?" And then having that realization of like, "Uh-oh. <laughs> oh no." <laughs> Oh, no. We're delicious. We smell delicious. (laughs) You see, I learned this because there's an episode of CSI that's basically Gremlins where Santa tried to go down the chimney to try to surprise his kids and got stuck. And then it's like Gil Grissom gives like a sick wonner in his deadpan delivery of like, humans smell like pork when we cook. Yum. (laughs) Yeah, we do. It's gross. (laughs) So this movie came out a festival run in 2016, mass distribution in 2017 which is a very interesting point of horror. So Harmony, I'm curious if you can give us any background of some of the stuff that came out around this time so we can see like where Raw sort of fits in the cultural conversation. So what's funny is if we want to count this as a 2016 movie, we've done absolutely zero movies from that year on this podcast. However, if we want to count it as a 2017 film, we've done three other horror movies that year. So that's just apparently where we're at. (laughs) So um, if you want to look at like the wider landscape, it's kind of weird to place this one in like teen coming of age canon because it is foreign. I believe it's the first film that we've covered that is not in English and I feel like stacking that up against whatever Disney or coming of age high school movie we were putting out in 2017 doesn't really give you a good idea of comparison. It just is kind of information for information's sake. But looking at it as a horror film, 2017 is a really fascinating year because for the past several years, like I'd say probably five strong years, we were in a huge boom of successful, like, possession and haunting films like some evil entity was was invading the homes of many unfortunate upper middle class white people so you had your paranormal activities and your insidious and oh gosh what what even other ones are there bj the conjuring the conjuring's a big one mm-hmm. so that dominates the sphere for a good chunk of the early and middle 2010s 2017 happens and that's where we shift over to trauma and the response to trauma and very direct social commentary because obviously Trump gets elected in 2016, but in terms of horror, everyone is trying to be the next get out once that comes out in 2017. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And the the trauma boom starts happening 2017, 2018, especially 2018 when Hereditary hits. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- it's interesting because, you know, this is something that premieres in 2016, so it's a little bit ahead of the curve. And if do- betting dollars to donuts, I think that Raw has a bigger influence on kind of that, like, unpacking trauma, unpacking coming-of-age terrors, unpacking the horrors of growing. Um, generational issues. Generational issues, because this is also a generational trauma movie. Um, I think that this movie had a lot more influence than people realized, but it it's harder to look at it in the grand scheme of things because this wasn't like a super wide-release movie. This is a movie that so many people know about and have watched because we haven't been able to shut up about it because it's so good. It's gotten that word of mouth and that fandom where this is probably a niche movie to the general populace but if you're a horror fan you know this movie because everybody wanted to make sure everybody saw this movie i think it fills uh for its time it fills a very similar window to ginger snaps oh yes definitely definitely vanessa do you remember your reaction the first time you saw this movie yes um so i'm trying to figure out the best way to articulate this so i'm just going to get right into it Sometimes when I'm so grossed out by a horror movie, I find myself um, seen in a certain way when it comes to just like sexual exhilaration being like dance partners with uh, disgust. So I remember be like sitting at the edge of my couch and feeling like the first time that I'd ever Googled how to jerk off. Or I was like, something just woke up inside of me. Um, And I think it was that, pardon the pun, it like plucked on a very raw nerve for me where I. I I think because I grew up in like a hyper religious environment, learning about my sexuality came hand in hand with being scared of it and being terrified of it. And seeing that mirrored, I was very like, (laughs) I felt very like awake about, about something. Um, And so, yeah, I remember seeing it for the first time and being like, man, I have never seen anything that reflected my experience with like, learning how to be a sexual person in my body and absolutely reckoning with how scary it was for me the way Ra has. I both love and hate that for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I, I specifically think of that scene where she's like wearing that dress and she's kissing the mirror and she's like kind of just feeling herself, but it feels like very manic and destructive. And then the next thing you know it, they record that video of her at the party, like, snarling for food Mm -hmm. and it very much felt like the first few times that I was just like oh look at me I'm a sexual being and then being like oh no I'm a sexual being now I'm being perceived (laughs) as such Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh god that's that's relatable so before we dive in any deeper it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show happy April prom party with spring comes new changes, as if we don't have changes on the Patreon every single month. Some of the things that you can find on our Patreon this month includes the monthly This Ends a Prom wellness newsletter, a playlist made by me that's kind of just inspired by Boy Genius, since it seemed like the right thing to be consumed by, <laughs> and our suggestion box, which... You're all going to be really excited because we have uh, quite a few films that are coming straight from there to your feeds in the coming months. 
for our Sadie Hawkins Dance mini episodes, we have some uniquely different coming-of-age stories for boys in Rushmore and The Karate Kid. And I have some strong feelings about The Karate Kid having watched it after the next Karate Kid. It's, we'll get into it there. We're also working our way through Freaks and Geeks still. Thus far, no misses. We're just having, like, the best time with that. And for our musical milestone episodes, we're being joined by our buddy Ben from Biff Radio to talk about the Empire Records soundtrack. And speaking of our friends... Hello, hello. This is Grace Lazos, the founder of the nonprofit theater company Broadway Bots. We are the first fat-positive, size-inclusive performing arts organization in New York City, and we are dedicated to doing all we can to end fat phobia in the performing arts. Our first fully staged production is coming to the Crane Theater at the end of April, and we're inviting you. Come see Andrew Lippa's The Wild Party April 28th and 29th at 7 p.m. or April 30th at 2 p.m. For behind-the-scenes footage, previews, and early access to tickets, subscribe to our Patreon. For more information on Broadway Bods, check out our website. Thanks for listening. Grace is just the absolute best, and so if you're in the area and you're interested in going to the shows or anything else that she and Broadway Bods are doing, like it, you're going to have a great time. It's spectacular. But with all that said... Back to today's movie. Okay, so this movie, despite being set on a, a college campus and there's, you know, a lot of tertiary sort of characters, a lot of people around here, for the most part, there's like three people in this movie. Um, yeah. And our our lead is Justine. So, Vanessa, I would love for you to talk about what you think of this character our our protagonist that is coming of age and also craving flesh i love justine i really love justine um she's such a wide-eyed completely unaware selfish little creature who is starting to reckon with how like selfish some of her desires are, especially the way she like continuously comes on to her gay roommate that is like, I am fucking gay. I don't want to fuck you. (laughs) Um, Justine is such a lovely wide eyed little dumb, dumb. She's, she's one of those characters that's very like book smart and, and clearly like understands a lot but is just kind of developmentally a little bit younger than everybody else is. Mm-hmm. I I really loved watching Justine start to like figure out what some of her wants were um, because it's so clumsy. She's so clumsy at everything she sort of tries to do. Like she's kind of at that age we all were, where like we're like kind of missing the mark by a little bit where it's like, we'll put on like really good lipstick, but like our hair will be greasy as shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so that's very much who Justine is. And then Alexa, her older sister, God, I feel like she's what every like early nineties piece of media thought of an older sister as, which is just like perfect, beautiful, confident, unflappable, that kind of thing that like ha- leaves that casts an impossibly large shadow for like a younger sister. I definitely had that with mine. I thought my older sister was like, I thought, like she shat out gold and sunshine came out of her ass and she was the most perfect cool untouchable thing and i very much love having two characters like this in a movie because it just they both bring out how clueless the other one is and 
those little moments of of confidence where it's like oh you're almost you're almost like a whole ass woman but you're still baby (laughs) i mean definitely and for me i love seeing the two of them on the campus together because i think i've mentioned this on the show before but if not here you go um my sister and i are only three years apart and so that meant she was a freshman in high school when i was a senior so we did have a year together And because I was such an insufferable Tracy Flick asshole, I did cast a massive shadow over her, which I always felt kind of weird about and felt terrible and was like, oh, God, my sister's going to one day resent me. And then when we went to college, um, she went to the same university that I did, but we ran in completely different social circles. So we really didn't ever see each other unless it was something that was intentional. But it was always like very like our our relationship changed drastically when we were in college because we had our own worlds for the first time where we weren't like a collective unit of like oh those are the colangelo sisters um and because i spent an extra year at college we had two years to do that which i thought was you know very interesting and watching their dynamic is like it, it like resonates with me and it that also then makes me realize that like I'm Alexia in this situation and the irony is that my sister's name is Alexa which is weird um but I I'm the older sister in this situation but like I've definitely been the one who's like I'm gonna help you do this like really kind of gross thing because I'm the only person that you trust to be able to be there with you through this gross thing that is happening and also like the shared legacy of somebody who knows something about you that you don't know yet. Um, I relate to that a lot. So I do relate to Alexia a lot in this movie um, yeah. in a w- in ways that make me kind of uncomfortable. But, you know, that's my own thing to sit with. <laughs> um, but Harmony, how about you? How do you feel about Justine? Oh, gosh. I I think she is going through one of my own personal concepts of hell. Like, like puberty partially, but like mostly I mean the environment that she's in, the hazing, um, that opening, that opening dance where it's like, oh, hey, we're going to bring you into like the underbellies of the building and make you crawl across rubble to get to this like secluded underground nightclub that we're throwing and everyone's going to get hammered and it's going to be loud and everyone's wet and sweaty in their pajamas. That is so not somewhere I want to be. Like immediately my sympathies go out to her because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be wet. And I, if I'm hot, I don't want other people touching me. And you are just exclusively being touched by people in a loud flashing area. And that kind of is just the sensory overload she's dealing with in different regards throughout the entire movie. Um, she, she feels like such an emblematic character of like freshman freedom where you can now start to live it up, but you have, like, the shame of mom and dad, especially because mom is so overprotective because she also knows things that Justine doesn't know. Um, I I think that she she's, she's this kind of mid-ground. She's between the two worlds right now, as opposed to Alexia, who has completely shunned any sort of guidance that she was given and is just living off of, like, pure irresponsible id to the point of just, like, Casually causing vehicular murder. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm so glad that you brought up the party scenes because those party scenes are so weirdly universal. Like, obviously, I didn't have to, like, crawl over things to get to an underground na- nightclub. But when I went to college, I went to an underfunded state school, which meant it was very much a party school. And those party scenes 
uh, very much remind me of the parties that I went to as a freshman in college because those are the parties you think you're supposed to go to and you don't really have your community yet where it's like, oh, these are my friends that we get really hammered and like play Mario Kart together. Like you don't have that yet. So it's just like, oh, there's a random party on the street. So I'm going to go to this party. And it's so many strangers and the, the big difference between, like, this cool French veterinary school party versus, like, terrible American college is that the music is worse and there's no good, like, vodka bar. It's just, like, the shittiest beer you've ever had in your life out of a really <laughs> disgusting, unclean tap uh, of a keg. And it's probably Keystone. So you're just drinking liquid Ugh. crackers and it's is it, the is worst. Is it slightly cooler than room temperature? Oh yeah. It's like a little warm, but everyone's like, mm, I like this. I'm in it's college. It's so <laughs> good. I love, yeah, I'm super good at drinking beer. I love it. <laughs> like everybody has that same bullshit. At least here she got vodka, which like, obviously. It's a lot of vodka. It's a lot of it. And she needed to to, to chill out a little bit with that. Um, but you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna get shit housed, at least it's on liquor and not on beer, because getting that drunk on beer is the worst. <laughs> I remember getting that drunk on beer at my first high school party and I threw up on a smoke detector. Um, <laughs> like in it, the ceiling? No, they put it on the floor next to like where two doors met. I think they meant it as like in case smoke rolled under a door. I remember as I was throwing up on the smoke detector thinking this is a weird place to put a smoke detector. (laughs) (laughs) And I think something in my stomach acid set it off because somebody went to go turn it off and accidentally touched my barf later. (laughs) Oh, God. Very distinct high school memory. That's impressive considering you were drunk and throwing up. Uh, I remember sitting on the floor and being like, I saw the guy that threw up on the smoke detector. He left. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, when when in doubt, fucking lie through your teeth. Lie. (laughs) So while we're talking about kind of like the party culture and whatever, I do want to talk about the video of Justine kind of going feral um, because this is one of the first coming of age movies I think I've ever seen portrayed how like a video can ruin your whole fucking life. And it's yes. and it's not presented in a way that's like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. I fell in front of the whole school. It's like, no, you did something when you were not sober, when things were a little fucked up and you were acting crazy. And this is now available for the world to see. And that hits me in my core in a way that is so scary because we all kind of came of age when this all was very new and the internet was kind of the wild west. So a lot of stuff was out there. Um, And it made me think of when I was in college, uh, MTV used to have this show. I don't remember what it was called. It was like busted or something to that effect. But basically it was like cops, but for college campuses. So hilarious. They would go to like big party schools and like bust people for underage drinking or like bust people because they're 20 years old and they're trying to like turn a bunch of abandoned pools into like a skateboard like arena, like whatever, that kind of dumb shit. So just they came- a bunch of fucking narcs? Yes. They came to my school and a girl who lived on my floor um, got busted and was going to be on the show. And the show ended up getting canceled because uh, she was very wealthy and came from a very powerful uh, family of lawyers. And they were going to sue the shit 
out of MTV uh, for featuring her because she was 17 and was a minor and there was no consent of getting her like to sign anything. So that ended up kind of shutting down their whole thing. But I really remember being like, oh my God, had that gone to air, that would have been there forever for her employers, for everybody making a mistake that like 99.99% of the American college populace does at some point, which is drink underage. And that's really fucked up. (laughs) That's so fucked up. And I feel like, yeah, that's definitely like, I feel like they kind of captured, this is something that you see in like teen media now, the idea of like sending around somebody's nudes in terms of like, how dare you show that I wanted something like that in that moment Mm -hmm. privately to everyone else. It kind of captured that without doing that directly. Yeah, it really does because like she's, she's not nude in this, but the, the sense of like, is frailty a word? I want to, that doesn't sound right. Um, I'm a count it, (laughs) but the, the feral state that she's in is like very, very like, terrifying and intimate and vulnerable in a way that feels like nudes because while it's she's clothed it is so uncomfortable and is such a way that like no one should ever see her like this like Mm -hmm. unless she is intentionally showing this to you like I feel like I shouldn't be watching this so you're totally right like it captures that really well and obviously because it spreads throughout the whole school that leads to a showdown between her and her sister in the middle of the school where they basically Ugh. eat each other out of rage. Uh, they just start biting at each other. It's fucking horrifying. It's so scary and at the same time, like, so powerful because to me, that moment also represents the, like, that's my little brother. You can't pick on him. But only I can pick on him where they're fighting with each other in a way that only they can fight with each other this way. Like if anybody else like started biting in the middle of the fight, you'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? But when the two of them do it, it's like, no, this is the natural evolution of their rage. And we're just all here to watch. It makes anybody watching feel very voyeuristic. Like, there's something about fighting someone that intimately that, like, you get to see me at this level. Um, That is that thing that you're talking about, that, like, kind of fighting with siblings where it's just, like, only a sibling can say the most unimaginably cruel thing that they could think of to me because they know what those buttons are. Mm -hmm. They're they're close enough to know what those buttons are. Um, And I, I especially found... So, later in the film... It's revealed that Alexia eats a, a large portion of Justine's roommate. Um, it's in a very gross and scary scene. Mm-hmm. And after realizing that, she chooses not to kill her sister, but to kind of like clean her up before she gets arrested. And there's something so lovely and painfully intimate about that scene where you're just kind of like, realizing how deeply fucked up someone just fucked up but still choosing to like give them a human moment i i both love that and i'm so disturbed by it well especially because those two are the only two that kind of treat each other like humans at that point like there is like there is a voyeuristic intimacy that we're seeing uh in the climax like multiple climax scenes of this movie where like when they're showing the video there's like 
really dramatic camera angles that are borderline on the floor that no one else would see. Like, we're seeing something we shouldn't see from that angle. When they're fighting each other in the courtyard, everyone's keeping a distance of at least, like, 20 feet, but we're right up in there and can see exactly what it is. So we're seeing things that no one else is seeing. It feels uh, just so specifically personal when even, like, you flip that on its script where they're in the shower and we're seeing this moment that no one is seeing because the fight gets broken up by them getting, like, things put around their necks like dog catchers. Oh, yeah, that's right. So there is this human moment that they get to share together because no one sees them as human anymore. They're they're basically animals. Yeah. And I, I love the intimacy of that scene so much because at, there, there's something that I think about a lot with these two characters. And what I find the most beautiful is that as the older sister, Alexia really didn't have the guidance. Like, obviously, she knows about the cannibalism because she is one and knows because mom also is one, which we find out at the end. Um, but ultimately, she's kind of coming of age and figuring this out on her own because it's sort of implied that this is something she came to to grips with while she was in college. and. Justine now has Alexia. She has somebody to kind of help guide her through it and to make the mistakes so that Justine doesn't have to. And that to me is such a beautiful representation of kind of like the 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 role of the older sister that none of us ever ask for mm-hmm. is that we also like while we get to be you know the we get all the pressure of parents a lot of the times we also can have the ability to cast a unfair shadow on our other siblings. That is all true. A lot of us also get adultified very quickly because we become like kind of de facto parents, but also we are the fuck ups. Like we are the ones who make those first mistakes and parents figure out how to deal with those children's mistakes uh, with us. We're the guinea pigs on everything. And Alexia very much is like, I'm kind of beyond help at this point. I'm killing people by causing car crashes. I just ate your roommate. I'm very much fucked in this situation. So I'm going to go to jail, but I'm also not going to rat you out as also being a cannibal because I'm just going to go and take this. And now you know the truth. You know what's up. I set you with as many skills as I possibly can to help you get through this. And now it's your turn to learn to navigate this. Like training wheels are off. And it's obviously deeply fucked up because of the fact that they're cannibals, but there's something really beautiful about that to me. <laughs> yes. Like I, I gasped um, because it felt all at once so romantic and so nauseating when the dad unbuttons his shirt and reveals all of the bite marks that his mother that his their mother has given them throughout the years mm-hmm. um and explains that you just kind of have to find a way to cope with it uh-huh. mm-hmm. um and i was like oh he's so in love with this woman that wants to eat him so badly right yeah we're he's all, a real we're all one just for coping. that <laughs> <laughs> okay but here here's my question for you then so we don't find out until the very end of the movie through justine that this is a family trait. This is passed down. D- did Alexia ever have a conversation with dad or did she think that she was the first one who was really fucked up? 
I think she thinks she was the first one because she's behaving that way. Uh-huh. She's behaving like she's a goddamn explorer into this brave new world of cannibalism because like everything that she does, it feels like it's the kind of thing that a young person would like figure out for themselves without having the advantage of like mistakes to to have been made or like time under your belt to learn how to cope with this. Mm -hmm. And it feels like the mom just imposed vegetarianism as like this rule that they have to obey and never really explained anything. And I feel like that's why they actually talk to Justine about it. It's because they're realizing that they can't just hide it and like, like, hope that they never come in contact with meat Mm -hmm. because clearly Alexia did and she considered it to be like an awakening as opposed to like a burden totally and I mean we see that in the opening scene when they're having food together and a meatball ended up in the mashed potatoes that Justine is eating and mom immediately kind of loses it and Justine at first is like hey it's not that big of a deal and she's like what if you would have been allergic like is very intense about it And it's such a good representation of the way that, like, sugarcoating things for your kids doesn't fucking work. And parents can do everything in their power to try to hide things from from their kids. They're gonna find out. They're gonna learn. You have to learn to have these really tough conversations. I mean, taking cannibalism out of it, let's say it's sex. So let's look at, like, what's happening right now in all of, like, the states that are trying to ban teaching things like critical race theory or even acknowledging the existence of gay people, like they're gonna fucking know and they're gonna have questions and denying that information is so dangerous and is going to cause so many fucking problems because look what happened to Alexia. You denied her the information and she started recreationally causing car crashes. Yeah. It's like, it's like teaching abstinence where it's like, you know, it's the number one, like, next thing that uh, comes from teaching abstinence only teaching and that's teen pregnancies Mm -hmm. and in this case it's it's a similar situation where it's like well they'll figure it on their own it's like no they're just going to end up pregnant or eating someone (laughs) yeah I mean I remember back in high school and this is this is actually kind of a a really big trend of young girls and uh, cannibalism and biting and I would love to get into that after this point but I think that (laughs) I I remember because of Twilight that there were girls who were like, oh, that's right. I want to bite my boyfriend. I want to draw blood. I, w- I want to drink blood because, oh, my God, it'll be so romantic. It'll be so sexy. And I'm like, I, as an adult who have done some kinky things in my life, sits there and goes, no, like you shouldn't do that probably <laughs> in general. But you certainly don't know what you're doing as like a 16 year old, how to safely do that. That that is a disaster. But like without having any kind of dialogue, then you're going to just kind of go wherever you go. And the dangers that come with that, like the human mouth is fucking filthy. I do. It's n- disgusting. I do not trust Laura from home ec or whatever, who just bit her boyfriend, Alec, to, to not like have his arm get gangrenous. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the most common way that I see that is with choking. Um, oh, yeah. The, the Teen amount- boys oh, think that's foreplay God, now. Yes. Yeah, they all think choking is foreplay. And like, I mean, it can be, but a lot of them don't know how to do that properly. They like start pressing on the windpipe and it's like, nah, you go from the sides, you weirdo. But going to have you- <laughs> a whole generation of teen girls talking like E.T. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like if you don't all because of the choke me daddy movie. Yes. Right. But if you don't explain like like choke me daddy's fine, but if you don't explain how to do it properly, then people are just going to start crushing windpipes. It's all and it's like- all about knowledge. It's it's about safety. 
Exactly. Knowledge is power. Yeah. Knowledge is power. And I mean, we do get a little bit of that passing of knowledge from Alexia to Justine, but it is obviously imperfect because Alexia is kind of making shit up as she goes along. And, you know, having to have that kind of the, the come to come to Hannibal moment instead of a come to Jesus moment, it's a come to Hannibal moment where dad <laughs> is like, this is kind of who we are. And I couldn't help but think about a movie, another movie we've covered on the show. Um, it's one of our lowest listened to episodes, which makes me sad, but it's We Are What We Are, um, which is another teen cannibal movie. But the difference is that they, it's ritualistic and traditional cannibalism that has been passed down from generations to generations. So they are very aware the, that their family is are cannibals and that they commit acts of cannibalism every single year, even when they're very young children. And so it's about like carrying that burden and also like learning about the weird traditions in your family and doing things because it's a tradition, even though you know that it's wrong. Um, whereas in this, it's so much more of an awakening. It's so much more of the result of being denied that knowledge and how that can make things complicated. But I find it really interesting to look at both of those movies because they're both teen cannibalism movies. They are both handling how that information is given to the teenagers completely differently. And both of them have disastrous results. Um, <laughs> so maybe the moral of the story is cannibalism is bad, I guess. <laughs> I I think that we as a as a, as a species generally accept that cannibalism is bad. <laughs> right, right. Like, I'm not going to lie, have I been curious about it? Yes, constantly, the way I am with any forbidden meats, but I'm not going <laughs> to do it. Right. I mean, I'm the same way. Like once I smelled like a like, horrible cremated body, I was like, you know, huh? It's probably not that bad. And then also, like, I watch a lot of Yellow Jackets, and they just have a similar conversation where they're like, okay, but it wasn't bad, was it? And it's like, yeah, it wasn't. I, it'll, it'll vary from person to person, you know? Yeah, but I'm also not going to do that because it's fucked up. <laughs> like, I'm not going to. Thank I do you for have, clarifying. <laughs> I do have lines. I do have some moral compass. Important that anybody listening <laughs> knows, I'm not going to actually eat a person, even though I think a lot about how thigh would be the best part. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it would and, be. And you're such a good cook, so I mean. <laughs> right? So it would be, pro- you know, I trust you. I'd wrap that shit up in rosemary and serve it with like a cracked olive chimichurri. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but for real, I don't understand the world of teen girls and uh, the feral hunger for eating people that we see routinely in in horror movies. Can can we break that down for me? Because this is this is not my world. I've watched a lot of these movies and these circumstances, and I still don't understand why it's such a consistent theme. I have a couple of theories on this, and I'm I'm interested to hear. I'm them. curious how you're going to take these. Okay, so I think one there is the act of cons- of consumption. Um, I think that women are are socialized to believe that they should not be having things that we have to restrict ourselves because yes. we're constantly having the pressures of like be smaller, take up less space. That then you know is related to our eating habits, and we don't in. Dulge. Like, that's not a thing that we are conditioned to think is okay. So, there's something guilty about it. But so, men love women that can put it away. <sighs> they love women that can eat a burger instead of a salad, right? So, they love her in theory. Yes. <laughs> actually love her. Yes. I actually, uh, there is a wonderful TikTok. A former guest of the show, Abby Rose Morris of More Than Tracy Turnblad, recently did an entire like three minute video on 
that idea and how like the girl who can eat is only acceptable if she has a fast metabolism because they like her in theory but not in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, they like her when she's a Gilmore girl. They don't like her when she's a Tracy Turnblad. Correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they like a girl who can eat as long as it doesn't look like she's a girl who can eat. Um, so I think that's part of it. So there is something very empowering about taking that ownership back and not just consuming something but consuming it with like rabidness and being kind of gross and messy. Um, there's also the fact that it's forbidden. Like this is something that you're not supposed to have. So that also is related to that. Um, but I also think that it is such a fantastic expression of rage because it's something that is done with the hands, but it isn't something that requires like brute strength. Like you can be someone like Justine who is quite small and kind of frail if we're being honest and she can be just as destructive and there's something very invigorating about that and knowing like you are just as dangerous as the people who would normally like physically overpower you and tower over you um and then i think there's also just kind of like the the evolutionary aspect of it of (laughs) women were never supposed to be like like this like we're not supposed to be like this and you're not the we're hunter not supposed to be feral animals yeah we're not supposed to be feral animals we're not supposed to be the hunters we're not supposed to do any of those things so from an evolutionary standpoint getting to just kind of let loose of every single restraint and socialization we have leads to cannibalism and there's also something weirdly poetic in the sense that like cis women are what bring life into the world. And then by like reconsuming it and putting it back into your body is also, I think like a weird thing in the back of our brain, like subconscious. Um, I don't know because I do, I like, I'm not going to ever eat somebody, but I fucking love the idea of like cannibalism as coming of age girl rage. So that's, that's where I am approaching it from Vanessa. What are your thoughts? (laughs) I think you hit the nail directly on the head and like, consumption is so like ever since you're a little girl you're constantly told that like the things that you put on your mouth might be a moment on the lips and a lifetime on the hips and you're constantly Mm -hmm. told that you need to be hyper vigilant of what you're eating and so like (laughs) there's something about mukbanging on a human being (laughs) that is so antithetical to everything that we're told to do that it feels like rebellion. It feels like pushing against absolutely everything uh, that we're told to be. And I think about when I was a little kid, there was no little girl more ostracized on the playground than the little girl that bites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also like, why were there so many little girls that bit? And it's because it's when, when you're so small and you're so, you know, told that you're helpless chompers will always be a number one accessory i mean if nothing else like even if it's not the most painful thing nobody wants to get bit no by a little girl if you're another kid on the playground like nobody wants ew spit ew girls with germs like there's a lot of reasons you don't want to be bit there's also just this like kind of unwritten rule the same way there's the unwritten rule of like you never like hit below the belt biting is also something that is always kind of seeming as like off limits like you will watch the most vicious brutal like just random girl fight that someone's recording and yelling world star about from a high school they will scratch they will punch they will kick they will 
pull each other's hair, but they don't bite because like biting is like the one thing that you're like not supposed to do. So when it happens and when little girls do it, there is this like, holy shit, you bit me kind of reaction. Like, yeah. I can't believe you did that. It like throws people off their rhythm a little bit because it's so unexpected. One, because it's biting, but more importantly, because biting is such like an intimately like violent action that it shocks people, especially when it comes with little girls. Like, my cousin bit somebody during a basketball game. Like she was like on defense or whatever. And she bit the other girl. She was in like <laughs> fifth, sixth grade. And like, we've asked her like all these years later, like, why did you bite her? And she's like, I don't know. I wanted the ball. And it's like, you know, <laughs> it's obviously a foul, but I get the logic. Hey, I mean, for the sake of clarity, coaches don't always have to do a good job of conveying like what they mean with sports where they're like, I remember being in soccer, and I, at the time, had had a broken wrist, so I was playing soccer as a, fi- a five-year-old with a cast on, and the coach is just like, you need to be more aggressive, be more defensive, be more aggressive, and I didn't know what that meant, so I just um, ended up breaking a kid's nose with my cast. Um, <laughs> oh, God. But, like, they're, they're not clear about what that means. They're just like, I don't know, go out, th- don't use your hands. I didn't, I didn't pick the ball up with my hands. That's the only rule I know I'm, I'm not supposed to break. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And at the same time, like, I also, like, I love the sensation of biting. Like, I definitely have an oral fixation. I am constantly chewing on plastic toothpicks. Um, I have I have them in my purse. I have them in drawers of the house. I have them everywhere. Harmony they're in finds, the couch. They're like, in Harmony the carpet. Harmony finds them everywhere whenever they're she cleans. They're in the dryer. And I, and I feel bad. <laughs> but I do that because I constantly am just, I want to be chewing on things. I like having the sensation of something moving around in my mouth. And of course, there can be an interpretation of that as like sexual. And yes, I do have like an oral fixation sexually. But when it's not in a sexual way, it's just because I like to bite things. Like I like, we were talking about eating the Polly Pocket Pants earlier. Like there's just something about biting and chewing that just feels good. Like uh, like there's a serotonin release of biting and I can't fully explain it. You know, I think it starts out very young because I was watching these TikTok videos the other day of uh, this mom who basically was like, Instead of like yelling whenever your child bites, you should have a dialogue with them where instead they should like ask, I would like something to bite when they feel a need to bite. Um, And so this kid was like, mama, I want to bite. And she would like hand him like different like teething toys and stuff like that. And it made me think about how it feels like it might just be like a natural impulse, like from very young to the way that like nursing can feel like a natural impulse biting might just be there in our dna i mean we are just mammals right mm-hmm. i mean we're we're just really really advanced animals that's really all all we are and i think you're right because i i think about the ways that we have sort of normalized and incorporated oral fixations into daily life and i don't think people recognize that's what it is but like i think about like all of the all of the people who every single day have to go to Starbucks and get some sort of like iced coffee or frappuccino and they will sit there and play with the straw and like play with it constantly. And it's like, that's part of it. Like that's obviously the, the much lower version. Maybe that's why we all have oral fixations. Cause we're all just trying to prevent ourselves from becoming cannibals. <laughs> who knows? Mama, I got a bite. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, but I, I, w- I want to walk this conversation back to another point that we were talking about just a little bit ago, which is the, the, the way that women are conditioned, like don't put things in your mouth, uh, you know, moment on the lips, lifetime on the hips. That is such a central part to this entire movie is that like Justine is becoming feminized, like her sister's trying to glam her up. Uh, it's part of the hazing that you have to wear nightwear and like or club wear and heels and stuff. And if you don't wear a slutty dress, then you got to wear a diaper because you're not a grown up. You're a fucking child as a part of like the hazing. Um, at one point, like she's puking up a disgusting amount of hair and some other girl's like, by the way, just use two fingers. It works so much easier. So like there's all of these little bits and pieces. Um, Alexia like tweezing two random hairs out of her forehead before they go in for like the Brazilian. There's just all of these uncomfortable things they're trying to do to someone who is kind of just low maintenance you know like she's comfortable just being very casual but everyone's like no you have to be sexy now you have to perform and part of the performance is performing being up for grabs but you can't be too up for grabs because then you're too slutty Mm -hmm. so you have to now learn about that very specific balance of slutty Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really interesting how Raw is kind of having the parallel stories of obviously the budding cannibalism as metaphor for coming of age, but also the way that so many of us are taught to perform femininity. And I really want to talk to both of you about this because I know that all three of us come from extremely different places in terms of how we approach femininity. Because for me, like the waxing scene reads really differently because I was getting bikini waxes not brazilian waxes but i was getting bikini waxes like very very young because i had to for baton twirling because otherwise you would see it under my costume so i like my introduction to that sort of regimen was never about sex it was like practicality so a lot of that is really like desexualized for me if that makes sense like I know a lot of people are like oh my god yeah I love it when it's shaved or oh my god I love it when it's whatever and like that to me like there's I have zero sexual connotation with pubic hair like it just doesn't exist because I was getting rid of it when I was like not understanding sex or sexuality yet um but the things that do kind of resonate with me is like that mirror scene where she's like putting on the dress and putting on the makeup and she's like dancing around and that the song that's playing, like the lyrics of it are wild because the lyrics of that French song, they come up when you listen, like have the subtitles on. Um, there's lines in there about like sleeping with the dead. There's lines in there oh, about yeah. wanting to be a slut. Like, so it's really like, that's what she's vibing to is like a really filthy song and like a very disturbingly filthy song, um, which I think that is very much resonant with me like there are definitely some like filthy songs that I was listening to way too young that I was like hell yeah I feel this and then of course like if anybody heard me listening to the song I would have been mortified because they need to not know that about me (laughs) they need to not know that's a part of me oh this is a thing that comes up all the time where BJ will be like oh yeah some filthy things at like fourth grade dance (laughs) for like for whatever like the graduation from fourth grade was that we were just like oh yeah this nasty raunchy crunk song and I'm like we did, were not allowed to listen to profane <laughs> things at our dances all the way up through high school because we were a sheltered little suburb. <laughs> oh, yeah. We definitely weren't allowed to, but I would listen to them, like, in my room, uh, you know, to my own mirror, so to speak, so that uh, no adult could could stop me. Mm-hmm. Um, the waxing scene made me think of 
I was a high schooler in Orange County, California, and it was definitely at a time in which um, boys would look at pubic hair and make gagging noises with their mouth. Um, so it was such a, like, if you're going to be sexual in any way, you can't have any pubes. And I remembered my first bikini wax with, like, absolute terror because uh, I felt like I was trapped in my room with this, like, fucking lego brick glued to my pubes that i couldn't pull off and there's no way that i could be like mom can you help me with this situation by the way this is because i wanted someone to see my crotch (laughs) and just like the very specific mix of just like shame and terror that came with it and i was just like yep this feels par for the course for a bikini wax (laughs) so when justina sort of coming to terms with this femininity and having like the bikini wax or doing the dress up or whatever she never looks like she feels comfortable. Um, it, to me, always feels like she's playing dress up and she's putting yes. on something, mm-hmm. which for me personally, that is something that I don't relate to because I am painfully cis and I am femme. So this is all stuff that like came very naturally to me. So I, the only time I ever had uncomfortability was when other people made me feel uncomfortable. But by myself, I was like, nah, this is fine. But I'm curious if either of you want to talk about the uncomfortability of performative femininity. And I know that it comes from two different places. But I think that y'all will have a better insight on what Justine is going through than I will. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I put on lipstick the other day and somebody called me a femme and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm a fruitcake, not a femme. <laughs> like, I, I I need you to know that for me, there's a fundamental difference is into the way that I, I do it. And I think I, I used to be much more femme presenting, but in a way that felt like I was a, like completing a homework assignment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where it was like, and check. And now you like me more because I'm wearing a mini dress. And while I will enjoy performing femininity now, it's performance for me. And it's it's a performance that I'm choosing to put on. But whenever it was something that it felt like I had to do, it would be it it feel more like a uniform that I was stuck with. And I had a super feminine uniform that I had to wear in high school. And I actually very distinctly remember we had this thing that was like, it was like a dance we were supposed to recreate like a ball during American Re- Revolution times. And all of the girls had to wear these like huge hoop skirts with creoline and it would like make your make your body look in like a little hourglass. And I remember trying on the dress and feeling like I wanted to throw up. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like they put it on me and then they described like the hair and the makeup that they would do. And I just like felt the world fall out of my butt and I, I felt like I needed to do something. And um, I I begged the school, I begged the school to let me wear a boy's uniform because something about looking that girl made me feel, and, and like having to made me feel so ill. And I'll never forget, they made me wear the dress. They made me wear the dress anyway. I refused to do any hair and makeup, so I looked like shit. And I have a single photo of me in that dress, and I I look so angry and so not happy in my skin and so uncomfortable and like similar to Justine the dress felt nice when it was a costume like the dress felt nice in the mirror when you were pretending to be that like slutty girl about town because it felt like something nice that you could like put on for a little bit and take off at the end of the day and it wasn't something that was like what you were supposed to be Mm -hmm. and 
I, I really felt a lot of resonance with Justine, Justine's discomfort at like forced femininity. Oh yeah. Like it, that's really what it is though. It's a matter of what you are electing to do. Like, would I want, like, hypothetically speaking, if this, if this movie was like a choose your own adventure book where it's like, oh, hey, people wake you up in the middle of the night. Do you go back to bed or do you follow them? Turn to page 16. I'd go back to the bed and then the book would just say the end, like six pages in. Like, <laughs> but would I possibly go to a dance party if I want to, if I'm feeling up to it? M- most days I'm not. But you know what? Maybe that day I'm feeling particularly frisky. But it is that matter of choice. Um, I... Don't I I remember this a lot when like I came out as trans, like people didn't have a good metrics of what that meant yet, because it was a million years ago. And so people were saying things like, you know what, if you want to get better at makeup, you should talk to drag queens because they know how to put on makeup really well. And I go, that uh. that's a costume. Like drag queens, like such there are very talented drag queens who know how to do lots of looks. Most of them, especially at the time that I knew, knew how to put on makeup onto their face one specific way. Just their way. Yep. And that wouldn't have worked on my face and it would have been a drag look and that would have felt terrible because then then it's a costume. It's it's not, you know, me as a trans person being feminine. It's me in a form of drag, which is performative, but someone else did it. So then it's like out of my hands and it would feel terrible. Um, I I'm I express my femininity kind of loosey-goosey I'm, I'm kind of practical what fits me there we go that's usually what i go with do i want to wax my legs because i want to be sexy and sleek for the beach no it's because i have curly hairs and they tend to grow into my skin like the the the, the hair goes in so i get ingrown hairs all over my legs if i don't like trim them and deal with them and if they're waxed it's not a problem and then all of the the waxers are always like oh well if you just exfoliate then that that'll take care of all of that it doesn't it doesn't. They think they know what they're talking about, but they're, it, it feels so much like the worst bad advice that I've gotten dozens of times in my life. You've only had those legs your whole life. You would know more than anybody else. Yeah, like, it's not like my skin is completely resi- Like, let's just rub my skin raw so that it hurts when they go in the sunlight and the hair still grow in. Fuck. Well, I've tried every <laughs> way and raw. it doesn't work. I did say raw. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> I don't know. There, I There's a lot of things with, like, femininity and specifically performing femininity that I feel a great deal more pressure for in California than I ever did in Cleveland because... Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, like, I don't... I don't know. It's... Especially when it comes to movies like this. This is actually a conversation I've had with BJ's a few times, which is certain films like Raw or a number of, like, very popular femme films like um, Midsummer or, or Midsommar... Um, or Portrait of a Lady on Fire, or any of these other ones that feel like very, very powerful films for women, or basically anybody who's not a a cis man. Uh, Especially, like, in the queer sphere, a lot of these movies don't do anything for me, and it makes me feel like, fuck, am I I more in line with a cis man? Mm -hmm. I do really like The Warriors, like... Uh, I I, re- I do really like a lot of very masculine things, but I also like ginger snaps. Um, so it's it's this mixed bag where sometimes this like even a movie like this doesn't click as much as I want it to, and that feels like I should pretend to like it more. Otherwise, I'm not seen as like correctly feminine, you know? Yeah. No, totally. I there's definitely like linchpin pieces of media that's like, am I missing out on the experience? Is is there a reason why this isn't clicking with me? Mm-hmm. 
I, I have to have I have to have this breakdown with BJ all the time because I'll be like, BJ, I just don't like Kate Bush enough. Like I like everything she stands for, <laughs> but she doesn't do it for me, and I feel like I'm being a bad woman. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, so I'm really glad that you brought up this conversation because I wanted to have this conversation on air, but I obviously wasn't going to force it out of you because it's a it's a difficult subject. It's like pulling teeth or or pulling hair out of of my gullet. Oh god, that that scene goes on for so long. That's the scene that makes it's me the so most long. gross because it makes me think of the stuff you pull out of a sink and like, ugh, I can't deal with it. Um, but <laughs> but there is this thing that kind of happens culturally that I have really mixed feelings about, which is the the myth of the universal female experience. And yes. what ends up happening is it becomes this really gross turf talking point where a lot of trans-exclusionary radical feminists, whatever they want to fucking call themselves. They're not feminists. They're fucking not. But like no. people who are, you know, gender critical feminists or rad femmes, whatever you want to call them, they all have this weird faux understanding that like there is a universal experience that women have and trans women don't have it, therefore they can't be women. And it's bullshit for a number of reasons, but the main one is that there is no universal female experience. No. The, the, the construct of it is just designed to make us feel like we're all doing femininity wrong. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like there's... And, and what's also fucked is a lot of times the quote unquote like universal experience is something that's like really terrible. Like it's it's like, oh, well, the universal woman experience is being sexualized when you're 11 years old by grown men. And it's like, OK, sure. A lot of us do experience that. That's for sure. But there's a lot of us that do not. And there's also a lot of us who experience that way younger because we are aged up by society depending on a number of factors. So I was chesty by the time I was nine. Fucking same. I had my period when I was nine. <laughs> like things, things are not universal. They are very different. But what ends up happening is because you can have these, it's like cold reading, like psychics that do cold readings where they're just kind of shooting a shot in the dark and praying for the best and making these weird generalizations, but people buy into it. So then they get really emotionally invested and they project a lot of stuff onto that cold reading. That's what I think happens with this, myth of the universal female experience is that people will make these like very generalized statements that if you say it general enough, sure, a majority of people are going to relate to that and they are going to see themselves in it. And that's how they get you. And that's how they can slowly suck you into their weird, shitty, turfy pipeline. And unfortunately, I do think that happens sometimes with movies like Raw, where it is speaking so specifically to the coming of age experience of cis women that, you know, a lot of times like there will be cis men who don't get this movie and they don't like it and they use it as an excuse to be misogynists. And then that puts like trans women in a really fucking weird position because if it doesn't connect with them or if they don't like it, then suddenly, yeah, it does become this. Is there something wrong with me? Do I not get this because secretly I've been a man all along or whatever bullshit like th like weird intrusive thoughts like pop into your brain and the reality is like no it's just you it's a fucking movie you like it or you don't like it it really yeah. it resonates with you or it doesn't resonate with you and like that is not a judgment call on you as a person or your experience as a human being mm -hmm. i think it just becomes more glaringly noticeable when you really interrogate your own thing where i'm like i, I oh i wish i liked kate bush more but for every kate bush i don't like there's also like 
a Bruce Springsteen who's most of his catalog I wish I liked more, you know? And Bruce is like so macho. He's the boss after all. So I He's the denim clad boss. Right? I, I like Bruce when he does his theatrics. I like it when he sounds like he's writing Jim Steinman songs. Those are my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. But I think it becomes this um it, it becomes really like cannibalistic, I coincidentally, of like womanhood as a whole. And I'm really I'm really glad that you see these things that have like very specific feminine experiences who have very um like coded, coded uh, secret codes of, of feminine experience based on how you grew up. Like we did a whole Patreon episode about this a ways back about how Yellow Jacket season one felt weird to me because BJ would be like, ha ha. And I would be like, I don't know what you're laughing at. And she would have to break down like the hierarchy of girl school and female friendships as teenagers for it to make sense. And I'm like, that's a lot of backstory for like a throwaway line in this one episode. And I'm glad those things exist and I'm not saying I don't want them to exist, but it definitely, w- when we treat it as like the universal, it gets extremely sloppy and defeatist. Yeah, where it goes from like specific to like, I think specificity is where you find more commonality than when you try and make something universal. Oh, yeah. I, I this, might, this might be getting a little in the weeds, but I am very exhausted by the um, chronically online white trans narrative of universal transness that exists on the internet where very loud trans women who have been out only since the pandemic try to dictate the entirety of all trans culture with no regard for history by saying things like we all love high knee socks and we all own the ikea shark and we all used to be almost alt rights on 4chan right and, and it's really a very small group of people where all of this applies to, but those people are extremely loud and just push this narrative that that is trans culture. That is trans woman culture. Yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings about that as well in terms of, one, the the universal trans experience narrative because I'm like... That's oh, hogwash. It's Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's it's horse feathers. It's that's not real, um, and that's very infuriating. But the same thing happens a lot in like queer women circles and sapphic circles, where people will be like, "Oh, well, everybody did this and watched the L word, or everybody had this experience, and you know can't sit right in a chair, or everybody has this one crush, or this, that, and the other." And a lot of those experiences don't apply to me because I came out a, a very long time ago, <laughs> so. These are things that don't relate to me or resonate with me. And I think it's twofold in that on one hand, I try not to let it bother me because I'm like, this is a very quick way that people are trying to like find community, find connection with other people on the internet. And I think like that is a, that is a positive. That's great. But the problem is that it does establish this like weird sense of othering where, I mean, to steal a line from you, Harmony, you always say like, I don't know if I am... I don't think I am sad enough or horny enough to be on trans Twitter. <laughs> I'm not. I'm really not. And like, I, it gets bad because especially when you try to push this universal truth, um, like universal, you know, like femininity is very like trad femme, you know, the 1950s housewife. And it's like, why do we view that as like the truest version of American womanhood? 
Oh, that's right, white supremacy. Why is it that only trans culture as a whole gets to be dictated by a very specific white trans person? I mean, it's a loud version that is perpetuating like the self-centeredness of white supremacy. It's a fucking problem. Yeah, no, you're 100% right because that's exactly what's happening and it's wild as hell. Like anything that is that is submitted as like a universal truth or a universal experience is through a white fucking lens. And like, that's, yeah. that's the, the quiet part that people don't ever say out loud, but it is because people will say things like everybody remembers this. And like the, like the second one of those prompts gets over to black Twitter. It is my favorite day in the world because everyone's like, no, it fucking wasn't. What are you talking about? And I think people need those reminders that like, especially in like Western cultures, if something is being presented to you as like, this is a universal experience, nine times out of 10, it is a universal experience for white people, but it is a very specific universal experience for a specific brand of white people. And you will know immediately if you are not part of that brand of white people, because you're going to feel the same way you fucking did in fifth grade all over again. I mean, it's been very startling for me over the last month to find out how many people haven't seen Rocky. <laughs> I just assumed that was a very much a, almost a universal thing at some point, right? But no, there's so a many people. A lot of people haven't seen Rocky. Apparently not. And like foolish of me for assuming that, but like <laughs> you know, it's it's it is very telling that like, you know, you you think that at some point everyone had gotten around to some part of like culture or art or media, and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, as we discussed earlier, uh, something that people consider an iconic piece of queer media, I've never seen a single episode of The L Word. Hey, me either. Hell yeah. I, everyone always says, like, oh, the first two seasons are really good, and then it falls off after that. And I'm like, well, I don't want to commit my time and energy to something yeah. that falls off a cliff. <laughs> You've already told me that I shouldn't watch it. Yeah, I mean, if I want to watch some rad female media about <laughs> people going off a cliff, I can knock out Thelma and Louise in, like, two hours. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very very good point and to kind of like circle things back to bringing it back to raw i think raw is such a special movie and if i'm being honest i do get a little like weirdly defensive and kind of angry when people put this under the umbrella of the hashtag good for her subgenre of of horror films because while I think there is something really beneficial to the good for her genre, we're like, hell yeah, we're cheering on like the monsters femme and, you know, women that are being carnal. And I think that that's a very positive thing. I think something gets lost when we lump a lot of these stories together because it does feel like we're trying to homogenize very, very different stories and experiences of women and trying mm -hmm. to push them as, oh, they're all the same when they're fucking not. And Raw is a, like, Raw is a very different movie than Midsommar. Raw is a very different movie than yeah. Jennifer's body and that's not to say I don't love all of them because I do but I love them for entirely different reasons and I think that I think just Raw is like such a special film and I want it to be loved and appreciated on its own merits and not because it feels like something that you have to like because you have to like it it's a feminist horror masterpiece therefore you have to like it and it's like no, no you should like it because it speaks to you you should like it because it's a good fucking movie you should like yeah. it because the story is goddamn terrifying yeah and I mean I know this is a teen girl podcast but we have really glazed over essentially the only third character in this movie with a name <laughs> and we just bury that gay Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We we bury <laughs> oh, we Adrian. eat that gay to pieces. <laughs> it's because Adrian can have his own entire episode about how 
<laughs> I would say especially like cis straight women view gay men as like for their consumption right? sometimes. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> like it makes me think of every time I've ever seen a straight girl be like, "We, I'm queen of the gays." Oh my um, god, yeah. Except in like a very vile and toxic way between like Justine and Adrian. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring bachelorette where... party energy of like ownership of gays and gay spaces. Yes, and in her case, his body. Um, mm-hmm. And no matter how many times he makes it clear to her he is a gay fucking man and does not want to fuck her, she keeps trying and having the sense of like possessiveness over him. Yeah, she like she is. I, I think it's really hilarious. BJ pointed this out when we were watching it this for the for the show. And the specific still they use for all of the material is when she's standing there with that really intense brooding look and she has like blood dripping down her nose. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is a movie about cannibalism. But this particular shot is her just watching him get sweaty and playing soccer with his shirt off and having like an anime style bloody nose. Yes, it's harem anime bloody nose gush Uh from just being so horny for her roommate who I, again, cannot emphasize enough is gay and after fucking her keeps reiterating I'm gay and that shouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. Right. And okay. So I, I love Adrian for a lot of reasons. Um, and it is specifically that motion because the thing that makes me fucking banana cakes about my own sexuality is that I have slept with cis men. I have slept with a lot of cis men. I joke about it on the show all the time. When I was in high school, I did it because I thought it was fucking funny. And, like, people can't, like, process that, I think, in their brain sometimes. And it's because, like, I have a really fucked up, like, relationship with sex and sexuality as, like, a young person. So for me, like, sex was never, like, super important until it became important later in life. But for a long period of time, it was not fucking important to me. So I would have sex with people and I'm still gay because in my brain, I was like, well, this is an action. This is not an extension. I don't actually, like, like this. For me, this is, like this is a glorified sex toy for me. Like this is a vibrator with a pulse. And like, is that terrible and dehumanizing of the people I slept with? Yeah, totally. And I deal with that in therapy and I understand that about myself (laughs) and I recognize it about myself. But like that scene is so wonderful because the amount of people who watch this movie and they're like, oh, well, I guess that Adrian's bi maybe, or I guess that he's pan. And it's like, no, he's gay he just made a mistake or like he's gay but he like gave into his needs and at that point it's like I don't fucking care who it is I want to get fucked and like sometimes you just want to get fucked and your options are kind of slim so you have sex with people you don't really want to have sex with exactly (laughs) like it's very easy but so many people like can't process that and that's like one of the reasons I am so like staunch of like I am a lesbian I am a dyke is because there are people who are like well didn't you have a boyfriend that one time and it's like yes and it was wrong and I shouldn't have been in that relationship why is it so easy for everyone in the world to accept and understand that Kristen Stewart is gay despite having a past relationship with Rob Pattinson but y'all will not extend me that same like luxury and instead turn it into something weird and they're like well your wife is trans are you sure you're gay yes I'm fucking gay (laughs) makes me crazy (laughs) it makes me lose it um so, yes, I love Adrian for that reason. I think he serves a very important purpose in in the narrative of this movie. And the reveal that he has been eaten is so terrifying because he looks so peaceful in that bed. He looks angelic. The sun is shining on him. He looks lovely. And, uh, oh, he is gushing. Oh, he is. He is eaten up. Uh-huh. His, his thigh is gone. And he is 
coffin blood on the bed and I'm, rough. I mean, as we established earlier, the thigh probably is the best meat. That's true. Oh, yeah. It's very muscular so, there. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> specifically, like, even thinking back just before they have sex, they're, like, kind of just bonding. They're being they're being close in a way that you can be close with friends and not have sex with them, and that's totally fine. And she goes to bed, and he immediately pulls out his laptop. It's like, cool, I'm going to watch gay porn and smoke cigarettes in bed, which is, like, the most French thing I can imagine. Oh, yeah. And then she comes in and messes with his desires, like, by inserting herself. It's the most, like, it's the most, like, clear-cut, obvious way of just being like, you don't belong in this. Mm-hmm. You are yeah. barging in on his semi-chub. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's so much to like unpack there too, and I don't know. Maybe this is confession hour on the podcast. Um, but my roommate in college was also a gay man. He and I did not ever have sex, but we did have sex with the same person, not at the same time, but we did have sex with the same person, and that it that in and of itself was like a very interesting thing for us to navigate. Um, the the and having those conversations of like. Well, when did you have sex with this person? Well, I had sex with this person on this date. Oh, you had them first. That means, oh, I got your sloppy seconds. And then, like, we would, like, mess with each other about it. But that was always, like, such a weird thing for both of us once we had that realization. Because it it kind of fucks with, like, the chemistry of a roommate. Because, like, a roommate, unless it is somebody that, like, you are actively fucking and you're dating, like, once those streams kind of cross, like, the the dynamic of your life dramatically shifts like yes the way you interact with each other as friends dramatically shifts and like after about like three months we were fine and it was like it was never an issue there's never any animosity it was just kind of this like ah that's hmm that's weird to think about that we have both had something in our holes okay Mm." and then it became (laughs) like a joke bonding thing but there was like a weirdness for that time and in, like, a kind of a fucked up way, like, obviously I don't want Adrian to be dead, but it's like, oh, man, that morning was going to be so awkward. Everything was going to be really bad <laughs> moving forward for them. <laughs> oh, it was so much more awkward than she could have imagined. Oh, so much worse. <laughs> like, it's already bad enough, like, oh, we're going to have to talk about this in the morning. But now it's like, oh, God, my sister ate you. Oh, man. Huh. What do we do now? <laughs> How embarrassing. Ooh, check, please. Then, then you pull on your collar and go, ooh, like a sitcom. <laughs> well, this has been an absolutely riveting and weird and very vulnerable conversation for all of us to have. But I loved it. <laughs> it's it's a lot easier to do when you're just on a podcast with your, you know, significant other and one of your best friends. This is true. <laughs> this is very true. Uh, but Harmony, Raw is asking you to the underground veterinary school prom rave. Is it a yes, a no, a baby, or are you buying her tickets so she can go on her own? I mean, in the logistics of actually going to the rave, the answer is like, no, I want to go back to bed. I value my sleep. Especially as I've gotten older, I value my sleep way too much. But in terms of actually properly answering the question, um, I don't I don't know. If you had asked me the first time I would have watched it, I think I would have been leaning towards no, but tentatively maybe because there's maybe something to that that I don't get. But like, I get it now. Like, I understand a lot more of it. I don't get, this is not one of like my comfort movies. So like, while I'm inclined to say yes, I'm going to send it on its own because this means a lot more to a lot more people than it does to me. And I don't want to, I don't want to hog it, you know? All right. I think that is a a totally acceptable answer for this. And 
Vanessa and I will party with Raw at, at the underground prom yeah. all night long. It'll be a great time. <laughs> we'll be rolling with Raw. I'll be the DD. Very beautiful. <laughs> it's your turn to be mom friend, bitch. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am not a good mom friend, but I can be a dad friend. That's true. You are like weekend dad energy, friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, Vanessa, thank you so much again for coming on and bringing Raw and having this chat with us. Where can people find the stuff that you're working on if you want them to find you? Uh, you can find my Twitter, which is NESS Guerrero, and that's where I tweet uh, not just stupid thoughts, but where my podcast comes out. It's called Popcorn and Pixels. It's out every other Friday, and we talk about uh, video games and movies and uh, pairing them together to bring out the differences in storytelling devices. Also, I produce a show called 10 Minute Power Hour on a channel called The Grumps that comes out every other Monday. Um, and then you can catch me on season two. Not two, it's several seasons past that. On the newest season of Um Actually, uh, I'm on an episode coming out soon. The pairing of Inscription and We're All Going to the World's Fair is the most genius thing you could ever yes! concoct. <laughs> Thank you. I, I was so proud of that pairing. Emily did such a good job because I threw her such a curveball with We're All Going to the World's Fair. And I think she knocked it out of the park. Um, and we did one about the end of the world this week and we both cried. So it was great. <laughs> Beautiful. And friends, as always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to listen to this week inspired by Raw? So... This movie puts me in a weird position where it's like, cool, uh, the musical themes of this are essentially like the very gothic church organ that happens whenever she is, you know, doing cannibal things and sick, filthy party music. And so I needed something spooky, but danceable. And fortunately, we have the goths. So the band I am shouting out for this one is Glove and their album Boom Nights. Uh, it's basically a, a, a wash of synthesizers and bass that is really uh, really accustomed to like a very gay goth dance night somewhere. And the album builds up marvelously. My favorite songs on it are all the like the final three songs of Radio Out, Modern Toy, and Family Trip. This is one of those bands that uh, I, th I think the French have, a, have an appreciation for classics. So, and this is a band that clearly studied at the altar of Bauhaus. I love it. I love this so much. I can't wait to start listening to it. I love Bauhaus, so this is exciting. Oh, you're going to you're going to be a big fan then, I think. <laughs> Amazing. And one more time for the, our friends at home, what's the band called? And once again, that band's name is Glove. Is it spelled the way that it yeah. sounds? It's just Glove. Okay, cool. Yeah. How 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 uh how giallo of them? Just to be <laughs> Glove. Oh, of course. <laughs> All right, friends. Thank you again for listening. We will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye.
God, I want to lick your skin off. I prefer you didn't. But I want to. Don't. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.